Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. And the church at Sardis, as you're finding your place there, I want to welcome all of those who are watching us online this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. And I also want to welcome Reach Church DeSoto and the venue service meeting right down the hall. Thank you. We're so glad that you are with us. I also want to tell you, if you're interested in learning more about what it means to be a member here at Lenexa Baptist Church, what does it involve? Uh, who are we as a church? What do we believe? Uh, we have a class coming up this Wednesday, this Wednesday night. You can find that information online. Um, and, uh, and I'd encourage you, if you're thinking or praying about membership, uh, you need to attend that class. We have other opportunities that will come about in the future. Um, sometimes on Sunday morning. In fact, there's a class going on right now, but then also a class Wednesday night. Well, as we've been studying these seven letters to the seven churches, we've seen uh, a cold church in Ephesus. Smyrna, we saw a persecuted church. Pergamum, we saw a compromised church. Thyatira, we saw a corrupted church. And this morning, when we come to Sardis, we come to a dead church. They are a delusional church. They think one thing about themselves, but in reality, they're something completely different. Now, we got a lot of material to cover in a short time, all right? So buckle in this morning, all right? Let's read this together, and then we'll work our way through it. Look with me. Chapter 3, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, he who has, seven, has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds... That you have a name that you are alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you'll not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white. For they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we thank you so much this morning for your living word, and we pray today that we wouldn't just hear some information and fill our heads full of knowledge. Our prayer today is that we would be transformed by the power of your living word and the Holy Spirit. Lord, do business in our hearts. Holy Spirit, we invite you, not that you need our permission, but we ask you, work within us today. Mold us and shape us. Teach us and correct us. And Lord, if there is anybody here that doesn't know you, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. We love you and we praise you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You'll see here to the church in Sardis, just as Jesus does with all the letters to the churches, he identifies himself using descriptions from chapter 1. And here in verse 1, he identifies himself as the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The seven spirits of God, I'm not going to rehash this. We talked about this in chapter 1. If you want a reference, you can go to Isaiah 11, verse 2. Isaiah 11, verse 2. And it talks about the sevenfold spirit of God. 
most commentators believe, as I do, that the uh, seven spirits of God is referring to the Holy Spirit of God. And then he says, not only that, but the one who has the seven stars. The seven stars, we know in chapter 1, they're the angels, and we have identified the angels as the pastors, the elders, the leadership of the church. And if you put these two things together, I think the picture that Jesus is painting for the church at Sardis and for us is that I am the only one who can bring the Spirit of God and the church of God together. Now, the only hope for a dead church is that the power of the Holy Spirit would move in that church to bring about revival and awakening. You know, in the book of Acts, Jesus tells the disciples, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for what the Father has promised, referencing the Holy Spirit. In other words, don't you guys dare go run out of here and attempt this work on your own. But he says to them, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. And then if you read on in Acts chapter 1, you see it as the, the Holy Spirit of God that births and empowers the church to do what God has called them to do. And here's the point. God's power through the Holy Spirit must infuse Everything we do, otherwise we just become a dead church. The Holy Spirit gives us the only means by which we can truly be alive and successful. We can do a lot of things. We can have a lot of activity, probably much like the church in Sardis. But if the Holy Spirit of God does not infuse all of those activities, then we are simply spinning our wheels and casting our words to the wind. So here, Christ identifies himself as the one who brings the Holy Spirit of God and the church of God together. In many ways, Christ is giving them the solution before he has even identified the problem. And then Christ moves directly to a rebuke. No, no commendation to the church as Sardis, only a rebuke. He says, you have a name that you're alive, but you are dead. This is their spiritual x-ray. This is their spiritual diagnosis. Unlike the other churches, uh, false teaching is not their problem. It appears that this church has been doctrinally faithful. And unlike the church at Ephesus, they haven't simply lost their first love. No, Christ is much more alarming with the church at Sardis. He says, you're not just cold. You're not just compromised. You're not just corrupted. You're dead. And what's worse is, you think you're alive. That's your reputation among men that you're alive. In fact, I think the other churches that would have read these letters would have said, Sardis? Yeah, that's a live group of people. He says, you got a reputation that you're alive, but in my estimation, you're dead. And I think it must have been shocking to them. I think as they read this, this was shocking. In fact, you know what I think? I think if Christ had physically been in the room, they'd have wanted to argue with him. Much in the same way you remember, Jesus in Matthew says, Matthew 7 says, many, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out many demons and perform many miracles? I bet Sardis might have said the same things. Lord, we've done a whole lot of work for you. What are you talking about here? But you remember in Matthew 7 how Jesus ends that. He says, depart from me for I never knew you. Folks, th th this should shake us because passages like this teach us that it's possible to think that you're alive. 
It's possible for other people to think you're alive. But in fact, to be spiritually dead in the estimation of Christ, which, by the way, is the only estimation that really matters. So the question that we, ask, we have to ask ourselves here is, how could this church be so off? I mean, how, how could they be so off in their own self-evaluation of who they are? How could they be so delusional, not just them, but the other churches and the other Christians around them? How, many, how could all these believers be so off? And, and I think probably the more uh, relevant question for us is how do we avoid this same lack of self-awareness? How, how do we avoid this kind of delusional attitude about our spiritual condition? And I think we have to understand that it's, it's very easy for a church or for us as individuals to place more value on what other people think about us than what God thinks about us. To care more about your reputation before men than the reality of your spiritual condition before God. I mean, this was the pitfall of the Pharisees. They got to a place where they cared more about their public reputation before men than their personal relationship with God. Listen to me this morning. The basis and the foundation of your spiritual condition is not determined primarily by who you are before others in public. It is determined by who you are before God in private. So if, if you don't have a personal relationship with God through faith in Christ where you get alone with him in his word and in prayer and he speaks to you and you speak to him and he's growing and maturing you, then it doesn't matter. If that's not personally and privately true in your life, it doesn't matter how good you look before men. It's all just a show. Now don't misunderstand me. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't perform public acts of righteousness. Not at all. If that was the case, then we couldn't be the salt and the light of the world. But the point that, that I want to make here is that all of those public activities must flow out of a real, vibrant, deep, and growing relationship with Christ. We, this is what we learned when we studied Matt, the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, that Christ wants our hearts more than he wants our activity. And when our heart's motivation, when you get to a place where your heart motivation is to please Christ, guess what? You won't care what other people think about you. It won't matter if you're noticed. It won't matter if people hate you. And it won't matter if people applaud you. Because in your heart, all that matters is does it please Christ? So Christ says you've got a reputation, but no reality. Let me just ask you at this point, just you and God, what matters more to you today? Your reputation before men or the reality of who you are before Christ? That's a question we all got to ask ourselves. So Christ gives a spiritual diagnosis, but then he gives a spiritual prescription. To this dead church, here, here's your prescription. Here's what you need to do. And I think we need to be careful here because the danger is that some of you are here today and you say, well, i got to grow in. And you, you, you probably do. you got a deep, growing, vibrant relationship with the Lord. And you say, well, I don't need to, li to, to listen to the rest of this sermon. No. <laughs> you got to listen up too. Because here's what I think Christ is saying. These are the qualities that mark all of my people who have true spiritual life through faith in me. 
In fact, these commands that Jesus gives to the church at Sardis, they're all present imperatives, meaning that they're not one-time events that you do once and it's never to be repeated. All of these things are to be ongoing in our life. So what are those qualities that mark true spirituality and true spiritual life? Number one, awakening. He says in verse two, wake up and strengthen the things that remain. Wake up, it's a call to awakening, it's a call to revival. You, you study the great revivals, they always begin with an awakening to the glory of God. There's always an awakening to the glory of God, the holiness of God, the sovereignty of God. But then combined with that awakening to the glory of God, there's always an awakening to the true spiritual condition of our life. In the church of Sardis, it's obvious that they had become very complacent they're going through the motions. They've gotten to a place of thinking that because they've checked all the, the spiritual boxes or the external spiritual boxes, they've done all the right activities, that they're secure, they're good to go. And Christ is calling them to wake up and see that you're walking on the edge of an abyss. You're in danger of real spiritual destruction. The, the, the city of Sardis itself was very well fortified. It was, in fact, considered almost impenetrable by invading forces. And yet one morning, in fact, on two occasions, they woke up to realize that they were being invaded and they were about to be destroyed. And I think Christ sees the church in a similar spiritual condition. They think they're secure. And Christ is saying, you better wake up because you're in danger of spiritual destruction. And we need to see here what they need is their eyes open to the glory of God, the depth of their own spiritual need. And only the Holy Spirit of God can do this. This ought to be our daily prayer is that Holy Spirit of God, keep us spiritually awake today. Keep our eyes open to the glory of God and the depth of our need Listen, when, you, when your eyes are open to how glorious and holy God is and how sinful you are, you can't help but hit your knees in prayer and in the study of God's word. As individuals and as a corporate body, we need to continually ask God to give us a fresh view of his glory and a fresh view of our need. Not only awakening, but then you see there he's calling them to strengthen, strengthening. So awakening and strengthening. Strengthen the things that remain. Our spiritual life is a rebirth. It's the beginning of a new life in Christ. Some of you, you, you know, you graduation, you graduate from high school, you graduate from college, and what do they call that ceremony? They call it what? They call it a commencement. Because it's not the end, it's the beginning of something. Listen, when you trust in Christ, that's not the end. It's the beginning. It's your commencement. It's, it's your spiritual birth and the beginning of a new life in Christ. Paul says in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you know this this morning? The moment you placed your faith in Christ, God began the good work of salvation in you at that moment. Now, don't mishear me this morning. The moment you place your faith in Christ, you're saved. You are judiciously made right in the sight of God through the blood of Christ that's applied to your account through faith in him. You are saved, but you are also being saved. 
that Christ at that moment begins the good work of sanctification. And do you know what the goal of that work is? We all need to understand this this morning. If you know Christ, every moment of every day, God is working in you. And you know what he's attempting to do? He's attempting to transform us into the image of Christ, according to Romans chapter 8. Those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Now, that work won't be complete until we see Jesus face to face. But that's what God's doing in your heart. So here's the decision that every one of us have to make every day. Every morning when you get up, you have a decision. God's trying to mold you and make you into the image of Christ. And you've got a decision. Will you work with him or will you work against him? That's your, that's your decision every day. But listen to me. He's going to complete you. Not because you're good, but because what he starts, he always finishes. Now, he might drag some of y'all along. But you got a choice. Will you participate with him? And I think that's what it means when, when, when Jesus talks here about strengthening what remains. It, it means that you actively participate with God in the work of sanctification. That the gospel seed that's been planted in your heart, you're cultivating it. The day after day that you're striving to grow in your faith. Stronger in your understanding of his word. Stronger in your trust and obedience. Day by day you're beginning to look more and more like Christ. That should really be the evaluation that we're constantly asking. When we look back a month ago or a year ago, do we look more like Christ? Is God growing us? In the spiritual life there is, there's no neutral no neutral. You're either moving forward or you're fading. Today, you're either getting stronger or weaker. And the true mark of spirituality is people who are strengthened. Doesn't mean they're perfect, but they're striving, they're struggling to be strengthened. It's so important because what does Jesus say here? Strengthen things that remain, which we're about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. I, he says, I've not found your deeds complete. You know what Christ is saying? He's saying somewhere along the path, you quit. You quit striving. You quit striving to be, to be strengthened. And you've, you've started coasting and you're just kind of floating downstream towards destruction. You know, for far too many Christians, their testimony goes something like this. That, that, that they, they came to faith in Christ. They fell in love with Jesus. They were on fire for him. They were sharing the gospel. They were growing in their faith, abiding the word. They enjoying corporate worship. But somewhere along the path, they just started to fade. They took their eyes off Christ they got caught up in pursuing the stuff of this world. They got distracted by taxes and mortgages and youth baseball schedules and climbing the corporate ladder. And slowly over time, they just kind of quit. And the stuff of this world just so crowded out Christ until there was no real evidence that they had ever known him at all. Folks, the mark of true spirituality is a believer who day by day, it's not perfection, but day by day they're fighting the good fight of faith. Striving and participating with Christ to strengthen the gospel seed that's been planted in them. Not just strengthening though, but remembering. Look at verse 3. So remember what you have received and heard. This is a well-taught church. They've been taught the truths of scripture. No doctrinal issues here. So they've heard the word. But the word of God is making no difference in their life. 
It's not making any difference. You know, this is a real danger for all of us, that we hear the word. We hear the word, but it doesn't really matter. Because we don't, we, we just regard this book as just another book. And not the living word of God that is at work within us. You know, I've read a lot of books. And most of those books I read one time. If it's a really good book, I might read it twice. But most books one time. Some books I get halfway through and just quit and it's gone. But this book right here, folks, I read through this a lot of times. And I can't get enough of it. I had a professor in seminary, 83 years old, been studying the word of God and teaching the word of God for 50 years. And he said, every time I open the word of God, I'm growing and learning. We can't regard this book as just another book. It's the living word of God. It's the breath of God to you. And see, if we start regarding this as just another book, if it's just another book, do you know what will happen? Over time, we'll lose our appetite for God's word. This is really, really dangerous. A lot of of Christians, they have no appetite for the word. They've just lost their appetite. They've got no desire to get in God's word and read and hear him speak to them. And, and think about this. Physically speaking, if you've done any kind of hospice care, you know that when a person completely stops, when they have no appetite and they stop eating, it's really a sign that death is near. Listen to me, church. When you spiritually stop having an appetite for God's word, that's a dangerous place to be. Do you know what Jesus is saying to this church? Remember what you've heard and received. He's saying, remember the word of God. Read your Bible. Not only remembering, but what else does he say? Obeying, remember what you've heard and received and keep it. You know what keep it means? Obey it. One of the true marks of spiritual life is obedience. I love what Howard Hendricks used to say. He would say, I'm continually trying to impress God with how much I know. And he's continually trying to impress me with how little I obey. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. You know, there's a lot of people who know the word. They come to church. They attend Sunday school. That's great. Boy, they know the word inside and out. They know the Greek and Hebrew. Some of them got, they got more degrees than a thermometer. But listen to me, the word of God makes no difference if it's never implemented in your life. This book will never be beneficial until it's obeyed. At the end of it all, the most critical thing in your life, at the end of it all, the most critical thing in your life will not be your job, it will not be how much money you made, it will not be where you live. At the end of your life, what will matter most is your obedience to this book. He says, remember it, obey it, keep it. Then not only remembering, obeying, strengthening, awakening, but repenting. Verse 3, and repent. What does repent mean? Um, This is so critical. We got to understand biblical repentance. Biblical repentance is not just feeling sorry for your sin. 
Repentance means that you turn. You turn from your sin and you turn back towards Christ and you begin that, that back down that long road from which you have drifted from God. We are, we are consumers. We want what we want and we want it when. We want it right now. And far too many believers, I think they believe that repentance is simply a praying a prayer, a quick prayer, and then you go on your way. Now listen to me, true repentance, biblical repentance, while it does begin in an instance, it does begin with a humble prayer. It often involves a long and painful spiritual process by which God does some deep spiritual surgery in our hearts to restore us to full spiritual health. Just to give you an illustration, many of you in this room have had knee replacement surgery. Many of you have had both knees replaced. Now, if you've had a knee replacement or you're having one coming up, you would never think, well, I'm going to go in, have that surgery, and the next day I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be running again, playing golf again, I'm going to go right back at it. Now, they've made some amazing advancements in knee replacement, but you would never think that's going to be the case. What are you told? You're told really clearly. If you, if you have this done, you're going to be, it's going to be some therapy, and some of it's going to be very painful, and it's going to be hard. And you're going to have to sacrifice some time. And you're going to have to give a lot of effort. And it's going to cost you. So you're going to have to pay money and bills. You're going to, and there's all kinds of people that, that, praise God, they do it. To give them a new knee for a temporary amount of time. They'll pay all that price for something temporary. Folks, how much more important your eternal soul? And true repentance means, God, I repent and I turn. And I'm willing to go down that long road from which I have drifted and allow you to do some real spiritual surgery in my life. Because more than anything else, I want fellowship with you. Awakening, strengthening, remembering, obeying, repenting. And then a warning at the end of verse 3. Therefore, if you don't, don't wake up, I'll come like a thief and you'll not know what hour I will come to you. Stern warning, isn't it? This is serious. If you don't wake up, then you're going to be abruptly interrupted by the judgment of God. What he's saying, I think these are, he's speaking to believers here, that you're going to give an account to God, not for their salvation, but for what they've done for their lives. Listen, all of us who know Jesus Christ that have trusted him, We're, we will not be judged on the basis of our sins. Our sins are covered by the shed blood of Christ through our faith in him. But we will be judged for our deeds and the work of our hands and what we have accomplished in the body, as Paul says in Corinthians. That each of us will give an account of himself to God. Four times in the New Testament, Jesus gives us parables of people who have been given a stewardship and a charge. And they are suddenly and abruptly interrupted by the judgment of God. And they are called to account for what they have done with what God had given to them. Listen, the point is, you don't want to be caught off guard by that judgment. You want to be an individual who's alert and awake and strengthening and serving and walking with Christ and repenting of sin. So that when that day comes, you're not going to be interrupted You'll be prepared. See, at one point, listen to me, there's going to be a great getting up morning. 
And you're going to give an account of your life to God. Did you live for your glory or God's glory? He says, you better wake up or you're going to be interrupted by my judgment. But then in verse 4, there's some who are faithful. Look at verse 4. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they're worthy. And he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. And I'll not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. In all the other churches, there's a few who have gone astray here at Sardis. It's only a few who are faithful. It's a good reminder that regardless of what the church does, you be faithful. You can't use the church as your source of hope. Meaning you can't one day stand before God and say, but God, I was a member of that church. It's not about what church you're a member of. It's about your relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. You also can't use the church at your, as your excuse. Well, God, I had a bad church. That won't work. The question is, will you be found faithful? And right here at Sardis, there's always, there's all, God always has a remnant, a group who are faithful. And what marked their lives? This group who were faithful, what, what marked their lives? I guarantee you, you know what marked their lives? They were awake. They saw the glory of God in the depth of their own spiritual need and they were strengthening the seed of the gospel that had been planted in them. They were remembering the word of God. They were obeying the word of God. They were repenting when they messed up and they failed. They were repenting and turning back around and walking towards Christ. They were struggling and striving. And and I want to be totally honest with you this morning. That kind of life, the true spiritual life, it requires hard work. I'm, I've told you this so many times here at Lenexa Baptist Church. We don't want to pull the old bait and switch. We want to give you the truth. And the truth of the matter is today, if you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you will receive salvation as a free gift of grace. But as you begin that journey, listen to me. The Bible calls it a battle. It calls it a race that you have to run with endurance. You have to discipline yourself and beat your body Following Jesus is costly. It is sacrificial. You remember Peter, he was with Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to go and die in Jerusalem. Peter said, it's not going to happen. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And you remember what Jesus goes on to tell Peter? Peter, you need to listen to me. Not only am I going to die, but you're going to die. And then you remember what he says? Not only are you going to die, but anyone who wants to come after me must take up his cross and follow me. So let's all be really clear here this morning. As we tell you about the good news of Jesus Christ, he will save you as just by your faith in him and promise you heaven and be with you forever. But we also want you to know it's, it's a tough journey. Things might not always go well with you. You'll always have Christ. But there'll be a lot of striving. There'll be, you have to turn away from the things, some of these things that the world enjoys. We turn away from them and we discipline ourselves. And we're swimming against the current. As my, that same professor that was 83, he was from Nova Scotia, he'd say, any old dead fish can float downstream, but it takes a heap bit of wiggle in your tail to go against the current. It takes a heap bit of wiggle. But here's the question, all the sacrifices, all the struggles, here's the question we have to ask is, is it worth it? You know what Jesus is saying right here? 
very gently to this group who's faithful. They've been swimming upstream. You know, he says to them, it's worth it. You'll walk with me in white. Can you imagine what it would be like to take a walk with Jesus face to face? You'll walk with me in white and and you're worthy and you'll, you'll be clothed in white garments, meaning one day you will be perfect. Any of you here like me, I'm tired of struggling with sin in my flesh. I can't wait to be in a place where I don't have to struggle with sin anymore. We'll be perfected. And one day Christ is going to put his arm around you and he's going to walk up to God the Father and say, God the Father, let me introduce you to one of my followers and one of your children. His name is Chad McDonald. Say, I don't care what this world thinks about my name. I want to have a name before the Father. This is your child. And being introduced to the angels... And I can guarantee you, no matter what it costs you in this world, no matter what the struggle, no matter what the struggle, sacrifice, on that day, all those sacrifices, all that discipline, all the sweat and all the tears will appear to you as rubbish in comparison to knowing Jesus. So as we conclude here this morning, where are you at spiritually? Just you and God. There's only two people that know your spiritual condition today. You and God. Nobody else really knows. We can see indicators, but I can't see your heart. Only God sees your heart. Some of you are here this morning, and you're faking it, and you know it. You have a reputation. People think, well, oh, yeah, he's saved. Yeah, he's a good Christian guy. But you know deep down in your heart, you have no relationship with God through faith in Christ. You've never been born. You've got the external marks of spirituality, but there's never been an inward change. Just the external hull, just a whitewashed tomb. You're dead spiritually. Can I encourage you today? Let your heart and mind be awakened to God's glory and holiness and the depth of your spiritual need and run to him for grace and forgiveness. He will save you. Others of you are here today and you truly know Christ. You truly know him, but you've drifted. At some point along the path, you've just got caught up in the things of this world. And the struggle was too difficult and you quit. And you just started coasting. And you know today you are walking on the edge of an abyss. You know what Jesus wants to say to you? Wake up. Wake up. Remember the word. Obey the word. Repent of your sin and begin to walk down that long road from which you've drifted from him. And all of us today, listen, as I pray about for our church and about our church, do you know Satan would love nothing more than for Lenexa Baptist to have nothing more than a good reputation among men? He would love that. But to have no reality of true spiritual life. And my prayer for all of us is that we individually who make up this body would pray that God would continually give us a fresh view of his glory and the depth of our needs 
and that we would cling to him and strive. And this would be a church that doesn't just go through the motions, but a church that demonstrates true spiritual life and the power of God through the Holy Spirit to transform individuals for his glory. Wake up. Do we have a hymn this morning? Oh, yeah, we do. Thursday afternoon as I was studying, this is what came to my mind. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No more drifting. No more complacency. We will strive. No turning back. Though none go with me, I don't care what the world thinks. I don't care how many people show up on Sunday. I don't care how many others go with me. I will still follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. World behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided. To follow Jesus, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Father, we, we thank you this morning. That when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, when we didn't care anything about, us, about you or the salvation that you had provided through Christ, you loved us. And God, I pray this morning for somebody who doesn't know you. There might be somebody watching online right now. And maybe other people think they're alive. Maybe in the past they've even thought they were alive. But they know today it's all a mask. It's all a show deep down inside in their heart, where only you see, they have no real relationship. They've never been born again by the Spirit of God. I pray that right now, wherever they at, they would cry out for salvation. They would repent of their sins and they would turn to you and know your salvation, your rebirth. And they would begin to work with you in the work of transforming them into the image of Christ. God, I pray for those that have faded and drifted and got distracted and maybe to some extent they have quit. May they wake up today, repent, and follow you, allowing you to do deep spiritual surgery in their hearts so that they might know full restoration and spiritual health. And God, for all of us today, awaken us afresh and anew to your glory, your holiness, and your sovereignty. And God, show us the depth of our own needs so that we would never grow to a place of complacency always clinging, always striving, always remembering and repenting and demonstrating what it means to have true spiritual life by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.